Good morning, good morning. I'm going to turn this thing on here. There you go. Hello. Hello. Welcome uh, to Christ Community Church. We greet you in the name of our precious Savior whose arms are open wide. Not a soul here who is not welcome at His altar and at His table and in His house and among His people. He loves you and He loves me. Win, lose, or draw, He loves us. And He is pursuing us, calling out to us, reaching out to us. He has things that He wants to share with us today. The spout is not the problem today. It's the cup. Am I going to drink? The spout is full. <laughs> uh, and it's available. It's just, do we want to drink? That's the question. And so I hope that we will. Um, Shirley and I worked up. I've been stuck to y'all today about something. Uh, actually, it's something I worked up. I've been studying it for quite a while uh, just because it's something that I've really been not, struggling with is the wrong word. It's just been heavy upon my heart and mind. Something that I am very aware of that God is wanting to teach me and to um, do in my life uh, and I don't want to miss it I don't want to uh, I don't want to miss it I don't want to look back and not, re not let him do this work in my life I don't want y'all to look back and discover that you missed it and so um, I'll just start off today by saying that being a pastor for 42 years People come to a pastor regularly and they want to tell you about their sin. And trust me, I've heard it all. Uh, I, I just would tell you, I've heard it all. Um, but I find it interesting the sins that people very often and regularly want to tell me about and talk about and the sins that in 42 years I'm not going to say never that's not fair but I can almost say never that they never mention okay there are just certain sins that people feel comfortable owning and then there's other sins that people doesn't mean they're not real and present they just don't want to admit them let me give you some examples of those pride I've never heard anybody say brother Larry pray for me <laughs> I'm struggling with pride. I'm a prideful person I don't hear that Now maybe you do but I don't um, laziness Never, never hear anybody say, pray for me, I'm a lazy person. <laughs> I don't pull my weight. <laughs> I would rather lay in the, on the couch and be a bum than be productive and contribute. No, nobody. Now, many a wife has <laughs> said that 
or wanted me to pray for their husband about that. Greedy. I've never... Who confesses? I'm a greedy person. My first love is money. Who, who, when's the last time you confessed that? When's the last time you heard anybody confess that? In fact, that might be considered a, 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 a value, you know, a, a good thing. Uh, I, yes, I, drives I us to be yeah. successful, yeah. You know. Um, uh, selfish. I don't hear, people don't come to me and say, I am at my core a selfish, self-centered person that I, I always put myself first. I don't hear those. Now, I hear lots of sins, but not those. Or at least not very often. Another sin that I never hear anybody own or confess is the sin of bitterness. You ever hear anybody say, that's my sin, that's my besetting sin. I am a bitter person. Who confesses that? Who owns that? Um, and I want us to talk about that. And like I said, I'm not as much talking to you today, although I believe the Lord wants to talk to all of us. But I'm really, I've, I've spent a lot of time studying this. I, you cannot imagine what I did this week to take this much that I had discovered from God's Word and condense it down to, to that much. It was, and it was so painful. Because what I left out. It was great. I mean it was glorious. It was so great. But you know. You, you can only bring so much. And um, so anyway. But I just. I don't want. When I'm 80. And some of y'all go. You mean you're not already? But uh, you, uh, you. I don't when I'm 80. For my wife, my daughter, my grandson, y'all, to say that guy is a bitter person. I don't want people to not want to be. And yet, because I'm a bitter person. And yet, the minute I said the word bitter, rare is the person in this room, if existent at all, that does not immediately think of somebody who is eat up with bitterness. And you don't want to be around them. They're not enjoyable. They're not a blessing. In fact, they're the opposite. They're, as my grandson says, they're an anti-blessing. Um, and I don't want to be that person. And the Bible would say if you'll just trust me, I, I, I could have shared with you, no kidding, 40 or 50 great verses dealing with bitterness. But how do you do that in 30 minutes? Um, the Bible would paint bitterness in an incredibly dark, deadly, destructive light it's one of those sins that when the bible mentions it the context is it's it's bad it's a very very serious destructive sin 
Paul says in Ephesians 4, now listen to what he says. Do everything you can to get rid of all bitterness. And listen to the, the, the other sins that bitterness keeps company with. Do everything you can to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice. Notice the company that bitterness keeps. Those are, those are, those are not little stump-your-toe kind of sins. And what Paul is that do everything you can. Do whatever it takes to not allow yourself to become a bitter person. And then Paul says in Hebrews 12, it's, it's significant that he, he starts off both these, all you can, uh, uh, Hebrews 12, do all you can to live in peace with people. Be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses God's grace. Notice the very next thing he says. Don't miss the grace of God. And the very next thing is, let no bitter root grow up in your life. For it will cause trouble and defilement for many. That struck me, that, that idea that don't let bitterness or a root of bitterness grow up in your heart for it will cause trouble and defilement not to you, just you, but don't let it grow up in your heart because it will cause trouble and defilement to many, not just you, but to those around us as well. And I'm struck by the verb, of course, in that sentence, <clears throat> don't let. So that's, a, that's an imperative. And what that means, of course, is that we have control over this. Otherwise, he wouldn't give us something that we couldn't do, right? So don't allow this to happen means that there's that there's activity to be done in order to preclude this. That can thwart that. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so there's no excuse making here. I mean, there's plenty of excuse making, but it is mm. that. Well, my situation is different. Well, you don't understand. Well, this, and, and I sound uncompassionate and empathetic, but the verb choice here was chosen to be, the verb let or don't let <clears throat> is what's in the word. And so we've got some, We've got some choice and control. Why you mentioned that the way you did it is not insignificant. Because if you listen to people carefully and long enough, bitter people will consistently tell you, it was not, I, maybe I am bitter, but it's not my fault. The truth is, often Somebody it's not. else caused me to be bitter. And yet Paul doesn't buy, Paul would say that dog won't hunt. Most of the things that we become bitter about, perhaps many, weren't our choice. They were done to us. 
okay. Everybody's got that, but Paul doesn't let that go. It's a great word. I don't want you to miss something from Hebrews 12 where he says, do all, that you, do all you can to live in peace with people and be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. See to it that, that, you, see to it that no one misses God's grace. Let no bitter root grow up and cause trouble and defilement for many. Do you know what Paul is doing there? He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 29. It's very significant, the verse in Deuteronomy 29 that he quotes. Because in, this is what, this is what uh, Deuteronomy 29 says. Moses is rebuking the people of God and he says, For you are like those who tell I will be my own God and I will not have any regrets from doing it. Paul quotes that verse or at least part of that verse references that verse. I find it very significant that what Paul is saying there is is that people that allow bitterness to enter their lives They are like that. They're like people who tell God, no, I'll be my own God and I will not regret it. Do you hear the seriousness that Paul would refer or would reference that indictment as a warning against bitterness? Unresolved disagreement, offense, conflict, division, grudges, and unforgiveness would all be biblical causes of bitterness. Unresolved disagreement, offense, conflict, division, grudges, and unforgiveness, according to the Bible, would lead to a heart of bitterness. Bitterness is described as deadly, demonic, destructive, a festering wound, poisonous, polluting, and defiling. Do you hear the the ominous darkness that the Bible would, would associate with bitterness? You've heard me quote this verse a hundred times if you've come here at all. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that the Old Testament people, characters, the Old Testament characters and events were given to us as a warning. That means that we should read the Old as we do, one of the things that we should draw from reading about the lives of the Old Testament characters is a war- or warnings. I want you to think about the, the bad guys of the Bible. Okay? The, 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 the worst Bible characters. 
I would suggest to you, and I could give you a list of 30 examples. I'm only going to give you a couple. But that consistently in the lives of the worst people in the Bible, you see the quality of bitterness. An unwillingness to forgive. An unwillingness to lay down a grudge. An unwillingness to say I was sorry. An unwillingness to say, would you forgive me? An unwillingness to forgive. The worst people in the Bible are people that minimize the seriousness of conflict and offense. They don't mind. If Leslie, you and I are at odds, we're mad at each other, I've wronged you, or you've wronged me, eh, there's plenty of other people around here that I can be friends with. Who cares if you and I are at odds? That's the quality that you see in Cain. Brother, God said, hey, you and your brother are at odds, well, you're at odds with your brother. Don't let that go on. And Cain's answer is, I'm not in charge of him. He's not my responsibility. Having conflict with my brother is no big deal. And you know where that went. Saul. Saul had conflict with everybody. His son, his wife, David, his soldiers, his general. He, was, he, was, he lived in unresolved ongoing conflict and division and grudges and unforgiveness. He and he died a bitter man. See, Joan, oh, no, out, please, well, just please. Seeking out sorcerers. I mean, just a person that had, mm. had devolved so much that at the end was groveling around in caves seeking out a witch. And I would suggest that that's very prophetic that people who once had a passion for God, a heart for God, a devotion to God over years of letting unresolved offense and division and conflict become the norm in their life one day they're seeking out witches. Maybe not literally. But they're look, they, they no longer can distinguish mm -hmm. what is good from bad, true from false, light from darkness, life from death. Yeah. It's a huge idea. Jonah, you might think, well, how do you know he was better? You think he had love and joy and forgiveness and oneness and intimacy with the Ninevites? He wanted them dead. The Ninevites had done wrong to the people of God. No doubt about it. But he held a grudge. The question's not, is your offense true? The question is, what are you going to do with the offense? Are you going to lay it down? Are you going to hold, it, hold on to it for dear life? Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts, the Bible says that he was full of gall and bitterness. And then the one that sort of prompted this study for me personally, if you're reading through your Bible with me, um, we just got through, oh, I don't know, a few weeks ago with the book of Esther. 
and I was struck by Haman. You know the the anta- antagonist, mm-hmm. the foil. What do you call that dude? Is he no, the antagonist? The antagonist. Yeah. Okay, the, the antagonist. See what I have to learn, Kate. <laughs> um, if you think about the life of Haman, this is a man who was given everything. Second richest man in the whole land. Second most powerful man in the whole land. Big, great family. Ten sons. And in that day, ten sons was like gold. He was, a, he was literally a blessed person who had the world by the tail. And he threw away everything because he could not lay in bitterness to forgiveness and ill will and hatred and bitterness toward Esther and her people. We don't know, well we do, but it take too long today to talk about it, why Haman felt the way he did about the Jews. But it doesn't matter. That's the whole point. It doesn't matter. That is the point. It doesn't matter what created Haman's hatred or unforgiveness or bitterness. That, that, the why isn't important. What's important is it destroyed him. And if you'll notice what Paul said back in Hebrews 12, it doesn't just destroy you and me. It creates trouble and defilement for many. See, here's the deal. Haman made his decision. I will not forgive. I will not lay down. I will not make right. I w- I'm okay with the ill will and the, 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 the division and the conflict. And the, I'm okay with that. I'll embrace that. The problem is it destroyed his children. All of his children were killed because of his bitterness. Real quickly, I want to just mention to you four things that God impressed upon me to try to challenge me to avoid bitterness at all cost. To fear bitterness more than I fear saying I'm sorry. To fear bitterness more than I fear saying you're forgiven. To fear bitterness more than I fear going to you when there's something wrong and making that right. It's as uncomfortable as all, it's as uncomfortable as Hades. It's horrible to make things right when there's conflict. That's horrible. Nobody likes that. Nobody thinks that's fun. But do I fear doing the unpleasant as much as I fear the result of bitterness. To fear bitterness more than the feeling of injustice. What we, everyone wants justice. Everybody wants everyone justice for everybody else. Justice. I want justice for you. I'm not real wild on it for myself, <laughs> but uh, I don't mind y'all having justice. That's a good thing for everybody else. <laughs> no, no, that's it. Just this. And when it doesn't, when I don't get the justice that I demand, I have to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And we don't all ever get all the justice we demand or think we deserve or, or whatever. We just don't ever all get all of it, ever. Not here. 
And then a big, a big decision has to be made. Mm-hmm. And that's what this sermon is about. Yes. What to do next. What's next steps. Well, God gave me, and I mean that. God, I felt like God really spoke to me and gave me four things to motivate me to fear bitterness more than I fear making things right with people. Maybe we're not going to be best friends. We're going on vacation together. That's okay. But if I've done what I can do to, to be okay with you, to make things right with you under God, do I fear that as much as I fear bitterness or more? Number one, God reminded me that it makes him very, very sad when his children are not right with each other. 17 probably prayed in John 17, which probably, John 17 probably reveals the heart and priorities of Jesus more than any other chapter in the Bible. And what does Jesus pray in John 17? Father, make them one like you and I are one. Begs the question, what is it between the Father and Jesus? What hurt, what ill will, what unforgiveness, what wound, what wall, what barrier, what is it that separates the Father from the Son? And you know the answer. And Jesus says, Dad, would you give them relationships with each other that reflect our relationship? Thought about the the father in the prodigal son story. His son comes home. His heart is overjoyed. But how quickly the joy, a heart of sorrow becomes a heart of joy, but almost instantly it goes back to a heart of sorrow because of the ill will that one son had toward the other. I'm not going in there. I I wished he was still with the pigs. Don't you know that that broke his dad's heart? I thought about that king who forgave that servant all that debt. Servant walked out of the palace, found another servant. You owe me some money. And if you don't pay me, I'm going to throw your rear end in jail. And the Bible says that the king, some translations say he was furious. Other translations say that he was grieved. He was grieved at the conflict between those two servants. Second reason that God wants me to fear bitterness more than I fear the pain of making things right is the joy that I lose. I can't tell you how many people come to me at different times and they will say something like this, Larry, I believe with my mind that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He died on the cross intellectually and theologically I believe what's right but I don't feel forgiven I don't feel I still live a life that is defined by guilt a joyless 
burden-filled, defeated uh, life. That's a big problem with big, lots of factors. But I would tell you one contributing factor. I'm going to see how, I'm going to view how God sees me through the same lens as I see you. And if I see you as a rat, I see you as a bum, I see your flaws and faults and wrongs, if what I see in you are bad things, I'm telling you, it will affect, I guess God probably sees me the same way. It's because because that's the way we think. It becomes the way you think. And then you can only think how you think. And if I feel that way, then he must feel that way about me. That is how I think about things. God must be mad at me too. Yeah, yeah. If I'm mad at you... For all that you've done, and I still remember it, I hold on to it, I won't lay it down, I relate to you accordingly. How do I know God didn't feel the same way about me? That's why I don't want to read my Bible. Don't want to pray, don't want to come to church. Why, why would I want to engage in a relationship with someone who feels about me the way I feel about you? That's why I think that that touches on what Jesus, when Jesus says in, is it Matthew 6, where he says, if you don't forgive others, my Father won't forgive you. It's a big theological uh, uh, bailiwick. It's a big thing with lots of things to discuss. But at least Jesus is associating my unforgiveness towards you with my relationship with the Father. I'll tell you another one that ought to scare our socks off. Well, I don't wear socks, but it ought to scare us to death. It's already scared yours off. Yeah. And that is that unforgiveness and bitterness open our lives up to the attack of the enemy. That's why Saul ended up going to That's exactly right. look for a witch. I mean, just when natural. When I will not forgive, when I hold on to hatred and grudges and all that, I am literally opening my life up to the kingdom of darkness, to the king of darkness, to invasion by the enemy. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Don't sin in your anger. Don't go to bed angry and don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Don't crack the door because if you crack the door, he'll come in. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 2, we forgive devices so we will not be outwitted by the, by the, by the devil's devices. What are his devices? Well, John tells us that the devil's devices are to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what his devices are. So when I open my life up to the enemy 
through my unforgiveness and my being okay with conflict and division and ill will, I'm literally opening my life up to his devices. And then the last one and we're through. If you read the New Testament and what it says about unforgiveness and bitterness, the entire Old Testament says this much about unforgiveness and bitterness. All the writers of the New Testament except Paul say about that much. But the Apostle Paul, I bet he, I bet he addresses the idea of unforgiveness and bitterness 90% of what the New Testament says about it, Paul says. And I th- let, let me give you some examples. And I think the reason is Paul had a passion to be a part of God's redemption of the world. And he continually, in all of his epistles, He begged the people that he had led to the Lord and the churches that he had planted. He wanted them to not miss out on that. Paul appeals continually for unity and forgiveness because God has called us to participate in the salvation and the healing of the world. Your workplace your neighborhood, your family gatherings, your bunko parties, your hunting clubs. God has called us to be a part of His salvation and His healing in these places. Your children's schools. And if we're so eat up with anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and conflict, we can't participate. We cannot, it paralyzes us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, I beg you to agree with one another. Don't allow division. Be united in your thoughts and minds. And then one of the most powerful verses in the Bible to me is in 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul says this, Don't get hung up on the details. Hear the heart of Paul. The very fact that you have lawsuits among yourselves means that you are completely defeated. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Do you not hear? Should should we never get involved in lawsuits? Should we never use the, the, the legal system to deal with our wrongs? That's not his point. His point is, do you not see that you're a part of something huge and you're screwing around with dollars, with, you're suing each other, you're having conflict and anger and unforgiveness among you, you're, you're missing God's calling. To in, he's inviting you to participate in the salvation and in the healing of the world and you're so hung up on your petty conflict. We don't believe. Missing. God's invitation. I, I think that's the part we don't believe, is that we really are called to the salvation of the world and that that power through the Holy Spirit lives in us. I, I think that's the part we don't, we don't believe. Uh, because the bitterness, <laughs> I, we love that more. 
I don't know if that's true, but it sounds like it could be true. How many times have you thought, said, or heard somebody say, why doesn't somebody fix the conflict in our city? Why doesn't somebody fix the, the, the division in our family, in our nation, in our world? And I wonder if God might be saying, Larry, that's a good idea. Thanks for suggesting it. I would have never come up with that. Why don't you? Let's, let's start with you. I would just end with this one thought. And I mean this, and I hope you'll understand it the way I mean it. You and I cannot forgive. We don't want to. Shirley said a minute ago, I won't. Now, I'd like a little mercy and grace for myself, but I want justice and punishment. If you wrong me or you wrong my kid, I don't, I don't want to forgive you. Let's set aside all the religious mumbo jumbo. God loves everybody, kumbaya, let's wave our big lighters, you know, in unison and all. No, no, no. I don't, I don't forgive because I don't want to forgive. I don't want to let you off the hook. And I don't want to forgive because dying sucks. And dying is what it takes to forgive. I have to die to myself. I have to lay down my offenses and my wounds and my wrongs and my anger and my hatred. And that takes dying. And I don't want to die, neither do you. If you and I are going to learn to forgive, if you and I are going to learn to live a lifestyle where when we see conflict, we deal with it. We, we don't let it linger. We don't hold on to it. We don't hold grudges. We, that is going to have to be a miraculous work of God. We, you will never work that up on your own because it is counterintuitive. It is, who, who, who said, oh, Ukraine ought to just forgive Russia and uh, forgive and forget and pat them on the back and hug them. And, no, we were all, no, that's not right. That's not fair. That's not good. And what we believe about Russia and Ukraine is what we believe about ourselves. And if we're going to ever come to a place where we fear bitterness, the result of unresolved conflict and unforgiveness, more than we fear the distaste of forgiving, only God can show us that. There's There's not a formula there's not a, there's not, I can't guilt you into this. I can't intellectualize you into this. It has got to be a work of God. But what we can do is we can cry out to God. God, please don't let me grow old bitter. I've hated my ex and what he did to my children. 
I've hated my ch- my child's uh, 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 partner for what he or she did to them. I've hated my boss. I've hated my coworkers. I've hated my parents. I've hated my mate. God, all I can do is tell you how I really feel and beg you to do in my life what I beg you to do the unthinkable. I beg you to do the impossible. Give me a heart that fears bitterness more than going and making things right or laying things down. Would you give me a heart of love and forgiveness and grace so that I don't end a bitter old man? I'm telling you, it's, it's... Only God can do it. We will not do it. We don't want to do it. But God can. God wants us to. And He can reveal that to us if we'll let Him. Anything you want to add, friend? There is. Preach on, sister. Just an image Mm -hmm. that might help. Uh, When you're in high school or middle school or maybe college or maybe never, uh, there's a book called Great Expectations by uh, Charles Dickens. You may have seen several examples of movies. And the book is about the old woman, Miss Havisham. And she was jilted at the altar. She had her wedding dress on. She goes to the altar and he didn't show up. And there's a million reasons why that happened. But she was so embittered and sad. And y'all, nobody wants to be left at the altar. But what she did was she went back home and she went upstairs to her room. She was a wealthy woman, so she had this big house. Upstairs to her room. And for the entire rest of her life, listen, this is big. She never took that dress off. Mm. She wore that wedding dress until it wore out and it was tattered. And it was all like, like a ghost kind of with like shreds and stuff. She had an adopted daughter. She put all that stuff on that daughter. Hatred of men, you don't trust anybody. Put all that there and she put that on the daughter. Ruined you the don't see life. The, the biblical picture there. I mean, And in the end, in the very end, she was sorry. But she'd lost everything. And ruined the daughter's life And ruined too. the daughter. And so all I'm saying about this is bitterness is an interesting sin. And that a lot of other sins we can hide. You know, if I'm a thief, I might be able to hide that. If I cheat at school, I might be able to hide that. If I'm, you know, whatever. I might be able to hide some sin. Bitterness is like Miss Havisham's old wedding dress. (laughs) Everybody can see it. They can see the end result. And they see the end. It is unique in that if you steal... The act was the sin. Yeah. Or if you... Cheat on a cheat, test. Yeah. The, the act is a sin. But bitterness is such a no. Gradual. When is it you step over the line? You'll never know. Yeah. But one day, everybody else around you will know. Which is completely alone in the end. Of course she was. Who wants course, to be around yeah, that? Who wants to be around that? I don't want to be that way. We got some work to do. I know. Pray for me, sister. Mm. Um, <laughs> she's sort of being funny, but she's not.
Um, just to be honest, I'm a grudge holder. And I don't want to be. And I want God to change that so that I don't end up bitter. That's the truth. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And I invite you to come. It's His Supper, not mine. Not our church's. Not yours. It's, it's the Lord's Supper. And if you have trusted Him as your Savior, and you'd like to come and just declare to yourself one more time, I belong to Christ. He is my Savior and God and Lord and King. I'm thankful. I want you to come and eat and drink and remember and give thanks. If you'd like to sit in your chair for a minute or so, uh, maybe there's, I don't know that you can get it all. I've been, I've been doing some business with the Lord for two weeks on this deal. I don't know that you can get it all done in two minutes, but if you need to sit there and do a little, let the Holy Spirit work on you for a minute and talk to Him. He's not mad at you. He wants you to come to Him so that you can, He can begin the healing process in your life and in my life. And so, when you feel ready, you come and you eat and drink and remember.